Wonderful. I hope you do have your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin this week in verse 17. I, I got the opportunity last week for the paragraphs before that. And um, wow, I just, I was hit with an example of that text this past week that I was just compelled to use it by way of review. And that is in the context of the Olympics. Um, the Olympics and Olympic Games are also in the Bible, for sure. And they find themselves into sermons all across our land in one variety or another. Uh, this week, kind of reminded of our text that we talked about two worldviews last week and, and uh, reviewed that. And as I was watching the opening ceremony, it just, bam, hit me square between the eyes. I don't know whether you heard it, but there, for literally all the world to hear, we have a message, they said, in this opening ceremony. We want the world to hear this. Not only do we want the world to hear this, we want the world to adopt it. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it's not hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Now everybody with me. Aww. Isn't that so nice? Pastor, you're being so critical. That is the world in which you live. That is the world in which you live that suggests that we can live that way apart from God. There's one big problem. That one big problem exists in the world and it exists in this room. And that is it's filled with sinners who have a heart that is desperately wicked and will always seek after its own. To suggest that we can live in this world without a God who created, without a Lord Jesus as a Savior, without a Holy Spirit who grants life, is a foreign worldview to the Christian and the Bible. If you have your Bible, I want to press past that because that's what we looked at last week and go on to now verse 17 and we'll read through chapter 3 and verse 8. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope 
or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his, at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Let's pray together and cast our dependency upon him. Lord, we do that very thing. I especially do that. I'm so grateful to you for your word. It's life. It's life to the bones. You grant us through it eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you are that rock of our salvation that we can always depend upon. And now we ask you to enliven your word that we might be quickened by your spirit to obey it, to follow it, to praise you, to love you and one another more dearly. God, do what only you can do, I pray, through the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure that you've had probably a, a similar week that I've had, you know, working each day, doing kinds of things, and, uh, and I hope daily studying the Word of God. It's a beautiful thing to read and to find the source of life. I am... Um, I do experience things like the Olympic Games and things like that and think about you all and think about the word, get to meditate on it that we talked about last week. And uh, this worldview idea just permeates a good bit of uh, my time together. And in that context, and, and you well know, if you haven't done it already, you should, and I know you've been encouraged to in past sermons, that you can find the context of what's going on in Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17. And, and I kind of tie that kind of open little uh, review, if you will, together with, with the context in saying that what was said about Paul and his companions in Thessalonica is that very point. What do you mean that very point? Well, if you read Acts 17, you're going to find out that they were accused of what? They were accused of turning the world upside down. And the fact of the matter is they were guilty of that and happy to be guilty of that. Indeed, because they were presenting an entirely different world view. They're saying things we've never heard before. They're turning our world upside down. You can read that 
Acts 17, 6. And in our last paragraph that we have here in Thessalonians, Paul is recounting the fact that these people, they want to hinder us from speaking. What? Speaking this worldview. Speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that did not deter them. And it certainly did not deter them from wanting to be with and to see the Thessalonians. Now, here's where I want to insert possibly a little extra biblical, a little tentative here. A lot of scholars, a lot of commentaries um, will jump on this point. But what I would like to bring to you is what we call an item of mirrored reading. I've mentioned that to some of you before, but many of you have not ever seen me before. Mirrored reading. We look at the text, and from the text, we begin to ask ourselves, why is that there? Why did he say that? And it's quite possible that the Apostle Paul is being accused of abandoning the Thessalonians. Again, Acts 17, we find out that he was only there for three Sabbaths. It's only there for about three weeks, maybe a little bit more, but not long. And then he left, and he hasn't been back. Now, why hasn't he been back? And then we have some questions about what's going on as we do that mirrored reading in the text. Why is he so concerned with this? Why does he keep repeating that? And we begin to use that mirrored reading to ask these kinds of questions of the text, like a Thessalonian. Well, when I read this, and I see what the Apostle Paul is doing in this particular text, I see him trying to reinforce the fact that we need each other, that we need the church. Because in this particular text, he's expressing to them how much he does want to be with them. I realize that we went through a great deal of controversy. It's all over Twitter land, Facebook land, and all of the social media kind of thing of all the churches during COVID. Should we meet? Shouldn't we meet? We're being told we can't meet. Well, we're going to meet anyway because that's what the Bible says for us to do is to meet together. Now, some of it's purely political, and I just want to set that aside, but it does highlight the fact that the church is the assembly of God, that we are together, that we are to meet together. The Hebrew writer says for us not to neglect meeting together. And so Paul says, I want you to know through what he's saying in this passage that we need each other, that we need the church. And so I have three, um, three highlights that I want to make out of this particular text about why we need the church. First of all, I need the church, you need the church, because we are in spiritual warfare. That comes out in these first two verses of 17 and 18. We're in a spiritual warfare. We all know, even when we think of modern armies today, that there are a variety of different tasks that need to go on, whether it's in the air, or on the sea, or on the land. Different people are doing different tasks all the time, and they are all necessary. We are in spiritual warfare. Now, here's something that I want to do, because I see it in the text. I see it in the Bible of what the Apostle Paul does first. The first thing he wants to do is he wants to make very clear how knit, how tightly knit his heart is to the Thessalonians, to the church there. 
And I think that he does that. He wants to show how tightly knit his heart is to them because when he begins to describe our arch enemy, the enemy of the church, that he wants to make very clear that he's not cowarding, that he's not doing so in fear. He's doing so in boldness. So here's what I'd like to do. Number one, in this part of the sermon, what I'd like to do is highlight three words that the Apostle Paul is using to uh, describe his efforts, to describe his battle. And then I want to give you one word that we're all faced with in the battle. First three words. So the first of the three words is the, the biggest one. In Greek, op or phonesthentis, op or phonesthentis, it's a mouthful for me. Don't ask me to say it too many times too fast. But look at the text. But we, brethren, having been taken away. You see that? Three words. Having been taken away is actually this one Greek word. And if you notice this, I kind of said it by syllables, that in the middle of that word is orphanus. Orphanus. And it literally means to be made orphaned of. To be made orphaned of. Paul's not just simply saying that I was taken away, but like a parent separated from her children, I, I've been made orphaned of. Now, you only have to go back. In my Bible, I don't even have to turn a page. Going back to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 7, where Paul says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. And, and then look a little further down in verse 11. In, in verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. He's already expressed his relationship to the Thessalonians like a parent. And now I want you to know that like ripping children away from parents, I've been orphaned. You know, somewhat, uh, I, I liken this kind of language, this kind of preaching, this kind of commentary to the difference between when I was a little boy, we used to watch nothing but black and white television. You know, some of you in the room, you re remember that. I remember when we got our first television, it was black and white. When you came in watching a football game, you had to ask who's in the dark jerseys and who's in the white jersey. There weren't any colors, and you wanted to know who was what in, the, in those days. But then color came along and like, wow, it was so amazing. We even wanted to watch a television program we didn't like because this one was in color and that one was in black and white. We just wanted to see the color. It was really, really neat. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Can you read your Bible in the black and white without having to know Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff? Yes, you can. And I would never want to cast a, 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 some, some word of... A lack of trust on any of our parts. We have faithful transition translations of the Bible. But there are times when the original language adds the color. And Paul says, I've been orphaned. Does that paint a picture for you that has a little bit more color than just being taken away? Well, I think it does. Secondly, he says... The, the point that he's making about his desire to see the Thessalonians is highlighted by the word spudazo. I just like, some of them are hard to say like that first one. I'm not going to try again. I got it out, actually. I had to practice and practice and practice. 
But spudazo is is a, it's a little bit easier. And, and so look a little bit further in the in the text where he says of this. Um, uh, okay, um, yeah. For brothers, for a short time, uh, in person, in, without in heart, I endeavored more eagerly. Spudazo. More eagerly, I wanted to come to you. There's another place where Paul uses that, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, in which he says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I want you to be eager. I want you to be purposeful. I want you, this word, to be diligent about maintaining the unity of the body in a spirit of peace. I want you to do, I want you to strive to do whatever it's necessary to maintain the unity of the body in a bond of peace. I want you to eagerly do this. Now back to Thessalonians. This is what Paul is saying about himself in relationship to seeing the Thessalonians. And he said, I I, I, want to, I want to do everything I can to see you again. In fact, I've been trying to do that. I eagerly want to do that. And he comes to the last word where, again, he says, after eagerly and with great desire, epithumia, epithumia, a word very rarely used in a positive sense. You see here, he says, greatly desire. Well, most of the time in the New Testament, that word is used negatively. Most of the time, that word is used of things like lust or envying after in a very negative sense. You say, well, why are you bringing it up here? Because once again, these words mean something and they paint a picture. And I hope by compounding them together, you begin to see that welling up in the Apostle Paul are these affections and this emotion of being with them. I want to be with you. I greatly desire it in my innermost being. But. That's Paul. But the secondly, there's the one word that I would suggest to you that describes the battle we all are in. Look, continuing in that. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But, Satan. Satan. Describes the battle that we're all in. Interestingly, how interesting to me how Paul uses Satan and Satan, particularly the word Satan or the name Satan that means accuser or adversary. Every time the Apostle Paul throughout his letters uses Satan, that is the word, the name, it's always in opposition to his gospel ministry. It could be about a lot of things, but each time Paul uses the word Satan, it occurs as opposition to the preaching, to the ministry of the gospel that he is in. Satan comes up. Romans 16, 20, your enemy is God's enemy. The Bible says that the God of peace will crush Satan. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Satan has been given the power to destroy flesh. 
2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Satan's strategies and schemes find a home in unforgiveness. Read it too fast. Too fast. Buzz, take a breath. Satan's strategies, schemes, find a home in unforgiveness. Wow. Could be a whole sermon just right there. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Satan has messengers to torment people. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The lawless one, the lawless one who's coming will be the activity, will be done by the activity of Satan. He's still at work and he's going to still being at work. And Paul is telling these people that it's still coming. The point here that you should note very, very clearly is that Paul believes Satan is real. He was real. He is real in the lives of the Thessalonians and he is real in our lives in the ministry of the gospel today. Now, I have a caveat. I have a warning here. Let's be careful of not going to one extreme or another. I've known people who spend day in and day out talking about Satan and what Satan is doing here and Satan is doing there. And I do not think that that's healthy. But the other side of that, that road, the ditch that's over there, is to completely just... I, well, let me ask you. Show of hands. No, not really. How I many can if you want to? When's the last time you heard a sermon strictly on Satan? I don't know that I ever have. I've heard him mentioned, but I don't know. He's real. He is real, and we are in a warfare. We are in such a dramatic current warfare, as you well know, as you well know in this church, as you well know in the world, we are in warfare, and we cannot stand alone. We cannot stand alone. We need the church. The church of the living God, where we all are doing our part. We need it. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul ends every chapter of 1 Thessalonians with a word about eschatology, a word about the end times, about the things that are coming or that the Lord Jesus is coming at the end. I think that he's bringing that back to the remembrance of the Thessalonians for a reason, and I think that reason applies to us. We need to be thinking about that. We get in our little cocoons, we get in our bubbles, we get in our world, and we forget about the biblical worldview that says Jesus is coming back again. But before he does, the evil one will be released. And we're going to talk more about the end times and eschatology as we go through the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Satan is working to frustrate the gospel ministry today. But secondly, we need the church. I need the church because my joy is incomplete. My joy is incomplete without her, without the church. Take a look on. Now in verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus, there it is, at his coming, 
Is it not you? For you are our glory. You are our glory and joy. Now, I'm going to do a little, little buzzism. Can I do that? Wow, that's pretty cool. I'm going to do a little just me for just a moment. Not meant really to be funny. What I'm trying to express is the fact that this is some of my rumination about Thessalonians and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Because you see here in the text, for what is our hope? It's a rhetor- kind of a rhetorical question. What's our hope and what's our joy? Is it not you? But it, again, it doesn't quite come out. There's a couple of and ands in here that is, that it made for us to say, even you and, 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 and even you? You, you are our joy. Now, here's, here's where I'm going to wander from the trail just a little bit. Because I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, um, the, the life of the Apostle Paul, he, he's, 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 been, he's been called of God. There's a pretty rough calling there on his road to Damascus. Went on a first missionary journey where he was left stoned to death almost at Lystra. Uh, after that, he gets go back to the church where he's got to explain himself and his preaching to his own people who are questioning about what kind of gospel he's preaching. Uh, after that, he goes on this missionary journey, the second one, and he's headed in one direction. And God says, no, 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 don't go that way. Don't go, I want you to go this way. Okay, God, I'm following you, the Holy Spirit. I go over here to... Uh, Troas and, and I see a vision says for me to go across here to, to Europe so I, okay I'm going to obey God I'm going to go across there what happens huh, I get beat up and thrown in jail wow that's following God and I get out of jail go to the next town and there's a riot and these people run me out of town I go to the next town to preach the gospel, God, like that, and the people from the last town come to this town still pursuing me. I had to get in a boat and, and go down to Athens where I began to preach among a bunch of philosophers who think a bunch of different things and are attacking and questioning the gospel. Finally, I get to Corinth, probably the armpit of the world during those days, an immoral place of all kinds of immaturity going on there, and, and, and I'm, worried, I'm worried about this church in Thessalonians. And, and so I send the apostle, or the, excuse me, the, the disciple Timothy back there to find out how it's going. And he comes back with a good report, but he's also got some questions. Well, they're asking questions about people who died. They're asking questions about the afflictions that they're going through. And, and, and maybe, maybe there's another accusation. Maybe there's another accusation. Hey, you people, you, you, you Thessalonian church people, you, you, you can't trust that Paul guy. I mean, look, he's abandoned you. He was here for a short time, and you haven't even seen It's been years. You haven't even seen him again. It's only been months. You haven't even seen him again. He's abandoned you. And I somewhat, in the back of my mind, all buzz. So I want to make that very clear. Somewhere back in my mind, at least he didn't do it. Praise God, he's Paul and I'm not. Buzz would have said, are you kidding me? Do you know what I've been through? I've been stoned. I've been jailed. I've been beaten. I've been thrown out. 
all the kinds of, I didn't have success here, I didn't have success there, I didn't have success there. I get to the Thessalonians and you guys are starting to hear the word and the Bereans are doing the kind of the word and he's writing back to him. He said, you of all people, don't you know? If there's anybody, don't you know that you are my joy and my crown? Don't you know that? I don't think that Paul's joy is complete without the joy and crown of the Thessalonians. Say that again. Well, I mean, just think about it. Suppose the evangelist, church planter, finished. He's in Corinth. He wrote back. And Timothy came back and said, Sorry, boss. Nothing's left there. Is Paul happy? Is he joyous in the Lord? He is not. But to hear that they are doing well, Paul's joy is made at least more complete. And moreover, he would say to the Thessalonians, your joy is not complete without knowing that that you are my joy and crown. I brought help. I brought help in the person of of, um, C.S. Lewis. I was listening to a sermon this week by Sam Storms, and he was talking about Lewis, and Sam Storms did something similar to what I've done in in my life. I took just really solace in this. And, And here, follow me for just a second, would you? I want to communicate to you why I think the Apostle Paul is doing what he's doing. What do you mean? Well, if you look at it, if you kind of stand back further away than those detailed words that I was doing and stand a little bit further back in the picture, you see that the Apostle Paul is telling a story. I did this, and then I did that. I want you to know that you know this, and you know that. There's a story. There's There's a biographical narrative going on. And I want to do some of that mirrored reading I was talking about by asking, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? And the Apostle Paul, as he says in chapter 1, is doing that because he wants them to see something. He wants them to see that the words of his mouth and the action of his life are so knit together that they're one. They confirm each other. And when I was listening Sam Storms wrestling through some of the things about having real, true joy in God, he said there was a time in my life when I really didn't understand that. I'd look at these Christians and they would be asking, talking about praising God and loving God and doing these kinds of things. And it sounded almost egotistical on God's part to a certain extent. And and then he, he went on to mention the fact that C.S. Lewis did the same thing. And then when I began to read, well, just, just check it out. Here's Lewis. I know it's not usually a part of sermon, but this is reading time. I like it. When I first began to draw near, Lewis says, to belief in God, and even for some time after it, I had been given to me, 
I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. And he goes on to cite some text and things like that that says that the Lord says to praise him. And that was a bit confusing. It was a bit challenging to him. Until he finally, I did not see that in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. In the process of worshipping, in the process of praising him, God communicates himself to us, Lewis says. And and then finally, I think uh, we might have this quote for you on the screen. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of a compliant that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. And you know that. I want to say the point, then I want to do it again, then I want to say it again. You know that. You know that it's incomplete. I believe, the point is, I believe that the Apostle Paul is saying, you, especially you, should know that you are my joy and crown. A little confusing to me in my narrative because I thought it was supposed to be God who is my joy and crown. But he doesn't have a dichotomy going on there. To love God is to love God's people. You are my joy and crown. And by the way, we are one another's joy and crown. Why? As he praises them for what they are doing. Why? Because his joy is not complete unless it's shared with them. That was the point. Now here I'm going to say it again. I could be sitting there watching television. You know, one of these playoff football games comes down to a one-point game. One team is on their own five-yard line with only two minutes and 13 seconds left to go in the game, and they've got to go all the way down the field to get the touchdown to win the thing. And there they go, and there they go, and there they go. Three seconds left to go. It's fourth down. They've only got one thing. The quarterback drops out. The, the receiver heads for the corner of the end zone with tippy toes right there in the very corner. He reaches up. He grabs the ball. Touchdown. They win. And I yell at Sandy in the kitchen, oh, you've got to come in here and see this. This is incredible. You'll never believe it. And she says, no, I don't. (laughs) Ah, I'll turn the tables. So she's sitting over there in her chair, and somebody posts something about their cute little kids, you know. Their cute little grandkids out there playing in the snow or doing something like, oh, come here, you got to see this. And do I get up and go over? Oh, yes, I do. And do I act excited? Oh, yes, I do. But do you see the point? Yes, you do, because you do it too. Inside you, yourself, you know that your joy is not complete unless it's shared, unless it's expressed. And I am telling you folks, seriously, now look, 
There is no place on planet Earth that that should happen any greater than right here in this room. I don't mean any room. Yeah. I don't mean any room. I mean this room. But I want you to know what I am so much excited about is Jesus. Let me tell you what God has done this week. Let me tell you what I have read in the Word of God. I, I got to find somebody to tell that about because that expresses the true condition of our heart. What we praise, we most enjoy. What we praise, we most enjoy. But finally, we need the church, as it says in these verses, chapter 3, 1 through 8, we need the church because people, that is you and me, we do not suffer alone. We don't suffer alone. If COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us the fact that we do not suffer alone. And Paul's looking at this, as we've already read, and he's saying, I was left behind in Athens. I think it's kind of interesting to note that Paul was willing to be left alone to find out that he was not alone. That's what's happening. He was willing to be left alone in Athens to send Timothy back up the coast to Thessalonica to find out about their faith, lest they'd been tempted, and that the ministry had gone in vain. He was willing to be left alone to find out that he wasn't alone because his joy would not be complete without them. And so he sent Timothy back up there. And Timothy came back. And, and he just, I like the language that he uses through. He says, when I could endure it no longer. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to find out about you. I also sent to find out about your faith, the tempter, and, the, and whether we had labored in vain. But now that Timothy has come from us and brought us, you know what he brought us? Euangelion. He brought us good news. It's the word that we translate throughout the Bible as the gospel. The New Testament word for euangelion, for good news, is the gospel. He brought me the gospel back about you all, your faith and your love that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as also we want to see you. It's not complete. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live. Because we don't suffer alone. I've often wondered about this. In fact, for those of you who've known me before and known I've made that point, I, I often think about soldiers, men, women who go to battle with one another and, uh, and, and they form such bonds. We see after wars, they come back together in reunions and we, we see the bond that they formed. And um, I was reading about that, trying to discover that. And the short answer is that they say that there's something called small unit cohesion. You can read about it in John Keegan's book. The shared stress of trainings and battle causes individuals to depend on each other, even to the extent of self-sacrifice and even giving up their own lives for one another, they'll do that. And that forms this unbreakable kind of a bond. Well, that's a secular perspective. 
that they have joined together in, in literally battle and warfare and challenging times. I prefer the biblical. I prefer the biblical. I would suggest to you that the reason we are like that is because we're made in the image of God. You, do you realize that God, for all eternity past, that is forever and ever, God has always been in fellowship. God has always been in communion with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been in communion, community, in fellowship with one another. And they've been through some hard times. Oh no, there was not one drop of perspiration upon their brow. God is God and he is sovereign and he is all-powerful. But that does not negate the disobedience of his children. It does not negate the price of paying his own son. It does not negate bearing the sins and the convictions of the world by the Holy Spirit who grants a new heart. Oh, doesn't it? And through that, being created in the image of God, I would suggest to you that we need each other because we do not suffer alone. This week, I was hanging up a spear. If you don't know, I'm the curator of the museum. And we have many, many different kinds of uh, weaponry and just historical artifacts. And this week, I was hanging up a spear. This spear was given to Mr. Buecher, uh, who I work for, uh, just last week at the men's retreat. The last week of the men's retreat, a man came forward who has, I think it's a brother-in-law, he told me, he has a brother-in-law who is a missionary down with the Aka Indians. And well, that just, boom, hit me. He said, I'm friends with Stephen Saint. Stephen Saint is Nate Saint's son. Now, Nate Saint was the flyer who flew in the missionaries to the Aka Indians of the Amazon in the mid-50s and I have to make it short as possible to say they were all killed. They were all speared to death. Since then, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, that is Jim Elliot's wife, has returned. And there's been great revival and great success and great building of the church among the Aka Indians there in South America. During the 70s, Stephen Saint, once again, Nate Saint, who was martyred, traveled around to different concerts and things and gave the testimony about the Indians, about his father and about the martyrdom and about his, um, uh, his aunt and others who would go back into the Indians and build the church. But he would give that as a testimony. He would also take with him uh, one of the Aka Indians that they pretty much had adopted, not as a little boy, but a, a grown man. Minkai is the way I'm pronouncing his name. Minkai would go with Stephen Saint to these concerts and things and give the testimony to encourage people about, about just fighting on through affliction, persevering through great conflict. And he'd give that testimony. Sometimes Minkai would also give a testimony about his people and what happened. One particular night after a Stephen Curtis Chapman um, Stephen Chapman concert, Stephen Saint was doing his testimony about his dad. And he came to realize, that, you know what, after doing this so many times, I'm just kind of going through the motions. 
I'm just, I mean, I believe it, and I'm, I loved my dad. He was only five when his dad was killed. But he began to pray, and he began to pray, and he asked God, God, give me a heart for this, not just a, a routine thing that was going on. And he said, be careful what you ask for. He had, I believe it's three, it might have been four, but I think three, three children, not positive, but one, no, four, three boys, one girl, her name is Stephanie. Stephanie is a musician. Stephanie wanted to become a missionary musician. She wanted to travel around the world and, and do her music. And parents were, you know, like many parents, oh, I don't want to let her go, but they did. She came back home. Uh, she went to her bedroom one evening and then called for mom and dad. I got a headache. Can you help me? And she had a massive brain hemorrhage. And she died as a young adult. And from then on, Stephen Saint knew what it was like to suffer that way. Because we don't suffer alone. And one night after that, Minkai gave a testimony. Minkai gave his testimony in his own language, so Stephen Saint had to translate it. And so this is what Stephen Saint translated from Minkai. Minkai said, Wagongi which is the Aka, as best as I'm butchering it, for creator God. When Gangi does not see it well, that we should walk his trail. Stephen Saint was a bit confused. Does not see it fit that we walk his trail. Didn't really understand, but he went ahead and translated it anyway. And after he translated it for the people, Wingangi said it again. He repeated it, but with one addition. Wingangi does not see it well that we should walk his trail alone. That we should not walk his trail alone. Oh, First Baptist Church of Boynton Beach, God has not made you to walk this trail alone. There is spiritual warfare. And I can promise you, your joy that you should, as I am struggling to, pursue your joy in Christ will never be complete apart from the people in this room. Oh yes, the world. But there comes a time to say, in this room. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you have challenge. You don't do it alone. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the heart of Paul for the Thessalonians described here. And I thank you that those words are not just meant for the Thessalonians, but they're meant for me. They're meant for us. And I pray, O oh God, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, it's the only place it can happen, that whether or not we are accused of abandoning the flock, that we will say, no, 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 but you, even you are my, our joy and crown. In Christ, I ask you to do it.